we go back to uh, the Lord's Supper just before Jesus' death. And in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 17, it says, On the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? He replied, Go into the city to a certain man and tell him, The teacher says, My appointment time is near. I am going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. We'll pick it up in verse 26. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them saying, Drink from it, all of you, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So a very simple ceremony. A couple things to take note of is that Jesus is the one who organized it. He was the one who put it together. He got hold of the place that they were going to meet. He made instructions about that. He made preparations with regard to the meal and what was to happen at the conclusion of the meal. He made sure that the uh, fruit of the vine, wine or juice, doesn't matter, was there and available, and also that bread was going to be available at this time. So he selected the location. He designated the time that they were going to meet. He set the meal in order. And at the meal, he was not a guest, but he was actually the host. He took, he blessed, he broke, he gave. He was in charge of the whole process. And you know what? He still is. Today, whenever any Christians assemble together to commemorate the communion service, as we're doing today, Jesus is here, Jesus is in charge, Jesus oversees the whole thing. He was the one who first instituted the ceremony and he participates in it and he is the host of it, if you will, every time it takes place. Now let's talk a little bit about the meaning of communion. Jesus instituted the symbols of the bread and wine in the springtime. The Passover takes place in the spring And it was the same time of year he instituted these symbols that the Jews in that community of Jerusalem were remembering the great saving event in their history. Now, what would that have been? What was the greatest event in the history of the Jewish people that they celebrated in the springtime? The Exodus. The Passover, the original first Passover, we read about in the book of Exodus back in the Old Testament, a time when God saved them from slavery in Egypt. Now, this was a most important celebration every year in the Jewish community for centuries. So every springtime, they remembered being saved. How God miraculously sent the plagues on Egypt rescued them out of the land, miraculously helped them cross the Red Sea, parted the waters so that they can get through on their way to the promised land. So it's interesting that Jesus 
at that time of year when there was celebration and remembrance of salvation going on all around them, that he instituted a ceremony that would remind Christians of their salvation. The Lord's Supper or the communion service. Just as God saved Israel from slavery and death in Egypt, it was a time when Christians were going to begin to remember how God rescued them from slavery to sin and the death penalty because of their sins. So we had the old covenant, God with Israel, and the new covenant, God with the followers of Jesus, both taking place in the spring. So both covenants, the old covenant and the new covenant, were established by a saving God. He saved Israel physically from Egypt, and he saves us spiritually from the penalty of our sins. Now, as I said, Jesus gave us the symbols of the bread and the wine, as we read about, and it pictures, you know, today in the year 2022, when we commemorate the Lord's Supper or communion, we're looking in the past because Jesus instituted it in the past and it represented his death on the cross, which was in the past. But when we take the communion today, we're also picturing the present. Because here we are as followers of Jesus Christ, saved, okay, by the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. We are experiencing life with Jesus today. So we're celebrating the, the present. Don't forget, whenever we eat that bread and drink that fruit of the vine, it reminds us that Jesus is today dwelling in us, that saving Jesus is in us. And when we eat the bread, you know, when Jesus said, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood if you're my follower, that concept actually pictures a relationship with him. You know, there was a scripture in the book of Psalms where God said, taste and eat and see how good the Lord is. So it means to experience God, to have him in your life, to have him directing your movements on a daily basis, to be praying to him, to be reading his word, to come and to worship him with other believers. So not only does the communion service take us back into the past when Jesus instituted it and actually died on the cross, it re reminds us in the present of who we are because of Jesus. But it also looks to the future as Jesus says here in Matthew 26 and verse 29, he says, I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. So we know that when Jesus returns, there's, it's going to be a time of celebration like we've never seen before. And it also talks about there being a wedding feast when Jesus is the groom and the church is the bride and a marriage ceremony is going to take place and there's going to be great celebration. Hold your place there and let's turn to Revelation 19. So when we take communion, it also points us to the future. Revelation 19, beginning in verse 6, it says, Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, 
and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah! For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb, Jesus, has come. And his bride, the church, has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints and those who have the righteousness of Jesus Christ that he has credited to us. Verse 9, Then the angel said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. So you know what? We are all on the invite list. Not because of our own doing, it's because of the grace of God and the mercy of God. We've been invited to that wedding celebration so that when we have communion now, we're also looking into the future. And Jesus says he's not going to drink of the fruit of the vine again until that time. So that's the meaning of communion. But when we gather, you know, just as when the apostles gathered with Jesus, Jesus always was there to minister to them in one way or another, as he is with us. And we can't lose sight of this. You know, the communion service is not just a physical thing. You go up there, you have your bread, you take the cup as well, then you go back to your seat. We have to understand that as we participate in this, Jesus is here and he is ministering to each of us individually in some way. Now, how is he ministering to us individually in some way? And I do mean individually, because he knows what we have come here with. He knows what is on our mind. He knows right now what is in your heart. He knows what burdens you are carrying. And as we come here today to participate in the communion service, he wants to minister to us. First of all, we should not let this ceremony keep us from participating in it because of our sins. You know, I remember back, uh, and I've mentioned this before, back in the old days of the church, we used to celebrate the communion service once a year, and it would take place at night, and it was a very solemn ceremony, for those of you who remember. And when you came into the room, it was totally quiet. <laughs> and we all sat down and all we had was our hymnal and we had a towel because we would also have a foot washing ceremony, if you remember. And it was very solemn. In, in fact, nobody talked. If you communicated with anybody, it was by whisper. There was no food there. There was uh, no music playing in the background. So that when we came to that, you know, there were people who felt you know what, I'm not worthy to come to that. Uh, there's no place for me there because I know I'm a sinner and uh, I don't want to come in the, in the group of holy people. I'm not worthy of that. Well, the reason we come here is because we are sinners. We've come to understand now that Jesus welcomes sinners to come to the table. None of us is perfect. None of us is without sin. Sin is all around us. We stumble continually in our lives. In fact, uh, Jesus knows this verse in Hebrews 12 and verse 1. And he knows, that, he knows that it applies to each and every one of us. 
Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that, notice, the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. So that's talking about Christians as a whole. Jesus knows that we not only have the Holy Spirit, but we also still struggle with our fallen human spirit. Fallen human nature, if you will. So you know what, Jesus knows that. So when we come in the room here to have communion, he knows that he is inviting sinners. They do have God's Holy Spirit, but they're not perfect by any means. And they shouldn't compare themselves one with another to see who's better than the other one. We're all on an equal level playing field. You know, before the cross, we're all on the same level. Don't fool yourself. Don't think that you're better than somebody else or you're worse than somebody else. We're all equal here. So Jesus knows that in advance. He knows the sins that we've committed that we're forgiven for. He knows the wrong decisions we've made in our lives. He knows that many of us are still suffering some of the consequences of sin. You know what? You can be forgiven of sin, but with certain sins, there's still consequences that we have to pay. You know, if you get real greedy and go crazy with credit cards, how long is it going to take you to straighten that situation out, to pay off all those bills? You're suffering the consequences. You know, uh, many different sins that be, can be committed in this society today, in this fallen world, and unfortunately, we fall into some of those situations and we're, we're paying the, the, the penalties. But our sins are forgiven. Don't lose sight of that. So we need to realize, too, how pervasive sin is in our lives. And you know, the more we realize how much we sin, that should make us quicker to forgive others and to kind of cut them some slack. You know, when they do something wrong to offend us, we've heard several sermons on forgiving others. One of the reasons we're quick to forgive others is because we realize we're a sinner too. And we've made so many mistakes ourselves. Let's turn to 1 John chapter 1. Even though our sins are forgiven, we should continue to have a repentant attitude. I don't mean, I don't mean it to sound that the longer we're Christians, we still have the same level of sin. No, that's got to change. We should not be sinning the way we used to sin before becoming a Christian. With the Holy Spirit in us and, and God empowering us on a day-by-day -day basis, we need to be getting better. Sin should be more scarce in our lives, let's put it that way. And you know what? When we first believe in Jesus and we first accept him as our Savior, that's when our sins are forgiven, past, present, and future, okay? So I know that I'm forgiven of all my sins. I still slip up occasionally and do the wrong thing, say the wrong thing, uh, have the wrong attitude. Even though those sins are forgiven, we should still have a repentant attitude. We still need to uh, be aware of when we sin. I don't know about you, but I am. 
And what I need to do at that time is to go to God and say, Lord, I'm sorry for what I just did or what I just said or what I forgot to do or should have done and didn't do, sins of commission and sins of omission. And when, you know, that finally hits me of what I did or didn't do, I need to go to God and we all need to go to God and say, Lord, I, I know I'm forgiven for what I just did, but I want you to know that I shouldn't do it and I'm sorry and I'm going to try harder next time and I'm going to try to be better next time. So repentance is an ongoing thing in our lives, even though we're forgiven. We don't have to beg to God to forgive us again. We know we're forgiven, but still we know that sin upsets God. Uh, sin is why Jesus had to die on the cross. And it says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So we have confidence that our sins are forgiven. You know, when we're baptized or when we first accept Jesus as our Savior, there's an initial repentance. We kind of think about our past life and all the wrong things we did, all the penalties we had to pay because of the wrong things we did, all the times we made other people suffer because of what we did. And there's a, a general initial repentance. We say to God, Lord, I want you to be my savior and I want you to know I'm sorry for all my sins. You don't have to name each and every one of them. It's impossible. We've sinned more than we could ever remember. So when we first become a believer, God assures us that those sins are forgiven and will stay forgiven. But we have to have that ongoing attitude of awareness of what we're saying, what we're doing. And when we do slip up in sin, we need to be repentant about it. And we need to apologize to God. He wants us to continue to have that mindset. So let's take a, a moment now. Okay, before we go to the table here in, in a few minutes and think about yourself and I'll think about myself. What's happened in our lives the past couple of weeks? Does anything stand out that you've done wrong? Uh, did you get in trouble with your wife because of what you said? Did you get in trouble with uh, your neighbor because of what you did? Whatever the, the case may be. You know, we don't have to come up here sorrowful. We need to come up here with a repentant attitude. 